Welcome to the Bullish Drive Podcast, where we explore the realms of faith, mental performance, and personal testimonies through conversations with high-level performers. Join us as we extract valuable insights from their experiences to supercharge your pursuit of peak performance. This is the Bullish Drive Podcast. What's up, guys? We're back with another episode of the Bullish Drive Podcast, and today I'm super stoked just with the guests that we have on. I love having uh, just all these high level performers on the show just talk about you know the the human side of high level performers i think we oftentimes see what the tv shows what what media shows and we don't get to see kind of the person behind the athlete and today our our guest uh discusses just the wide range of things that people don't tend to see when it comes to professional athletes i think one of the greatest part of this conversation you're about to hear is just uh the effect and weight of having a competitive family um the, our guest today grew up with uh, very competitive brothers and how that affected just her natural ability to become an athlete to compete to want to um overcome and continue to push the boundaries and her own limits to to also recognize what is realistic what is within her domain and what she can accomplish within those days you know i i think about an interview with michael jordan where he talked about just the competitiveness between him and his brother and he actually said that his older brother was better than him and i don't think you hear michael jordan say that a lot um but it was through that uh competitiveness that pushed him to create the personality and grind that he has and so sometimes when i'm talking to families they talk about that competitiveness in their families and it's a great thing uh at, at the end of the day you know family is family but uh, when it comes to competitiveness there is healthiness there especially amongst your family members because there you can compete you can lose, you can win, and the love is still there. It's not against someone who's who's has no connection to you, but someone who can support you and continue to push your limits to become better. And and another thing that the conversation today comes into is just recognizing some of those other aspects that I don't think is covered a lot. And one of the big things is when you enter into these high level performance arenas and these professional sports, you don't think about is is how fast you can lose your why, how fast you can do that. And that oftentimes just ends up in identifying with your sport, identifying with the outcome too much. And when it comes to mental performance skills, we like to talk about just being present, falling in love with the process, falling in love with the growth. The goal is to grow. The goal is to get better than where you were yesterday. Because when it comes to identifying with outcomes, if that's your whole identity is to win, what happens when you have a career ending injury? What happens when you don't win and you lose? What happens to your identity? What happens when you leave the sport and your identity was completely connected to the sport? And that's where you can land into these places where you hit depression, you hit anxiety, you hit imposter syndrome, you hit all these different mental blocks that can happen when you don't identify with the right things. And so today our guest discusses just how she finds the continued motivation to succeed and to push through and to overcome. She started as a high level track runner and found her niche in rugby. And I love just hearing her story moving into it. She is uh, the leading female scorer in world rugby for women's sevens rugby, which is super cool. Um, her nickname is Naya on fire. I'm super stoked to have Naya Tapper on the show today. Naya, welcome to the Bullish Drive podcast. She has a ton of accolades. Uh, you were 
um, the first female to reach 100 tries on the U.S. women's team, which is super awesome. I think you're the highest scoring. You're, you're leading in tries overall, right? Which is super cool. You were in Sports Illustrated, top 100 black women athletes, you know, doing your thing, which is super cool too. So, man, I'm super stoked that you're on here. Welcome to the Bullish Drive podcast. How about we start with just where did you begin? Where did Where did this whole incredible journey start for you? Um, first, I want to say just thank you so much for having me here. I'm super excited to chat with you and all your supporters. Yeah. Um, for me, rugby started in college. I was doing track and field from seventh grade to my last year of high school. And going into college, I wanted to just focus on academics and kind of have a social life because I feel like I missed out on that a little bit throughout high school, being so dedicated to track and field. And so I went to college at UNC Chapel Hill. And um, as I was going through life as a college uh, student, I started missing sports a lot because as we know, like that was a big part of my life. And so um, I started trying to find other ways to connect with it again. And that's kind of how rugby came up. We had a club team at UNC and they were having tryouts. And for me, like I was always an aggressive, energetic child. I loved playing football growing up. And so I felt like this would be the perfect transition for me. And then um, after starting that, it kind of just blew my life up in all the best ways. <laughs> and you you said your your track track and field prior mm. to that. And I'm assuming you you excelled at that too, just kind of a natural athlete, right? I was really good at it, but I think getting ready to transition as a young adult going to college, I realized I'm good, but I'm not like the best. So this probably isn't something that I should try to pursue professionally because I don't think it, it would have turned into what rugby has turned into for me. Mm. Um, just kind of having that um, realistic mindset that I needed to find something else. <laughs> realistic or just, you know, flexible, right? Like you're you're an athlete, you just flexed a little bit. No, yeah. I love that. How How is that transition? Because I mean, you know, track, track athletes aren't necessarily running people over, right? So like, what, what was that like? I think weirdly, like it was perfect for me in terms of the physical aspect where I was a big woman, but I was also super fast. So to have that combination of strength, power and speed, um, it benefited me to the highest extent at the college level, even at the level um, that I'm currently at professionally. Like it's always um, given me my X factor um, and why I'm successful, why I was successful in college and why I'm, I'm currently striving for success now at the professional level. Um, but skill-wise, like never having did a hand-eye um, coordination sport, that's kind of like where I struggled and where I was humbled when it comes to being an athlete. Yeah, yeah. And and when you when you were a kid, did you look, look at Future Nye and be like, I'm going to be a professional athlete no matter what it takes? Is that your goal? I think growing up, like watching my brother play football and like playing football myself in the backyard and like loving the aggressiveness of it, the contact aspect of it, I would say like, oh, I want to be the first girl in the NFL. But like quickly you learn like that's not really a thing. There's not really women in that sport that you can be like, OK, yeah, I can do this. So um, from there, like it never was my dream to be a professional athlete. Um, I, I think my dream was to make enough money to be able to support my family, to travel and to like live a good life. 
Um, and for me, like growing up, that looked like a nine to five and I was okay with yeah. that. So being a professional athlete, that was never really in the plans. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, yeah. That's fair. That's so, so older brother was super athletic. Okay. Mm-hmm. So what, what dynamic did that create on like your, your family get togethers and stuff like that? Were you, were you competitive? You guys pretty competitive family? I, I would say we were, I think we all were involved in sports. My brother played football um, from a young boy all the way to the NFL level. My sister was a great track and field athlete um, before injuries came about. And then my sister, after her, um, she went to college for a little bit for basketball. So like sports was a huge part of our life. Our mom was a huge supporter and was at everybody's games no matter what. So I think it played a huge role in us. becoming good people becoming great athletes and like just having that competitive edge yeah yeah with with being good people what did sports teach you guys as kids as far as uh you know being a good person and uh you know (laughs) giving back like that it taught uh it taught me how to lose which i think is like Mm. not an easy feat Mm -hmm. um it taught me how to uh interact with other people whether you like them or not because on a team like you don't really get to choose your team the coach has that job and so the social aspect of that um also just learning like the discipline that can Mm -hmm. be applied in so many areas in your life i think that has been a a huge thing for me yeah what 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 have some of those crossovers been like you, you know you talked about the discipline that you can apply elsewhere in your life what were some of the big ones that crossed over for you i think self-control whether Mm. that's like what you eat to that affects your health your overall health um the things you allow yourself to do the people you put yourself around um the conversations you have having control of your emotions in those aspects i think that's one of the crossovers Mm. also um like the organization of everything that has made me like such a impactful leader just being able to compartmentalize and organize things to stay on top of things Mm -hmm. at the professional level you have so many things um, that you have to stay on top of so having those organizational skills um, are really beneficial man now they'll be beneficial once we go into the real world after (laughs) playing around (laughs) playing around but hey, hey i mean you're making a living off of it right so you get to work and play yeah yeah um now something i hear a lot you know we've had a couple olympic athletes on here and and something that they voiced they weren't ready for was all the other stuff that comes with becoming a professional athlete right Mm -hmm. like people see professional athletes and they're you know they're traveling the world they're competing you know they got the highlight reels but there's a lot of other stuff and you speak about organization so what are what are some of those other things that maybe caught you off guard that's that's also part of this industry mm-hmm. i think the nutritional side like what you put in your body being able to be disciplined around that um when we do have off seasons making sure you're still doing your remote training even though nobody's there watching you to make sure that you're doing it Mm. um the social media side being careful with the things that you post because there are a different range of ages cultures backgrounds that are watching you um so like being wary of that um, the acceptance that you're a role model whether you want to be or not um Mm. what else can i think of 
the business side of it, um, trying to find other avenues to bring in money outside of your salary that you make as an athlete. Um, also with social media, like putting yourself out there, promoting yourself, promoting your sport and the good things that you may be doing in the community. Um, and then also if you're in a leadership role, um, a lot comes with that, with representing your team, representing your country, um, and trying to find ways to improve your organization so that when you leave, you've had a positive impact. Yeah, yeah, that, man, you covered so much, so much stuff. I think I think social media gets people in trouble. You know, yeah, like there, especially when you shift into the professional world, because social media is like your personal life, right? And right. so yeah. you're, you're comfortable talking about that stuff, and um, then you shift into the professional world, and and your your brand, let's say, right? It's your brand. You know, it, it gets connected to so many other things now. You know, um, which is wild, which is crazy. Um, that that I feel like is something nobody ever talks about. So so let's shift back to uh, the Olympic rugby team. What what was that like stepping onto that pitch and uh, like joining forces with the best rugby players from our country? Um, I will say. Tokyo 2020 was during COVID. So mm -hmm. that was my first Olympic experience, my only Olympic experience so far. And so I don't know if I have the realist representation of what an Olympics would look like or feel like because we had a lot of restrictions when it came to COVID. We weren't able to interact as much with everybody there as you're usually, usually allowed to. Mm -hmm. We also didn't have spectators. And so I think for me, it's, it was very similar to our tour stops during the season where, you know, it's not a field stadium. Um, you're playing the same teams um, that you would play in the Olympics um, and it's, it's work. And so I think that was something I didn't realize is that like it would be work, like it wouldn't be just this fun big party. Like you still had to go out there right. um, and perform and um, show all the hard work that you had been putting in for that four year buildup. And so, I think I was surprised how like normal it felt, how comfortable I, sure. I felt because it's not like thousands of people in the stands screaming to where you can't hear yourself and you have a chance to realize, holy cow, like I'm playing at the <laughs> Olympics. And yeah. so I don't think I realized until um, after the fact, once I got home and just all the love and support that um, I got from family, friends and people that support me through social media to be like, oh, I, I did just go to the Olympics. Like that wasn't just a tournament in Cape Town or Hong Kong. Like that was mm -hmm. the actual Olympics. And so I'm looking forward, hopefully, to making this team in Paris and like being able to get the real experience. So yeah. I can that kind of euphoria feeling about it. But I will say like it, it did feel in a weird way, very normal to our tournament season. Yeah. Yeah. So, so mentally, how do you stay, how do you stay engaged in that type of environment? You know, look, cause like you said, you know, you, you play, you get hyped up from the crowd, you know, that's where you get, you know, home field advantages and stuff like that is, is hype from the crowd. So how, how did you maintain that, that Olympic level expectation in a non-Olympic environment? I think after a while, when you've been doing it so long, those type of performances become habit. And then me being a super competitive person, me being a super um, type A person, like no matter the tournament, you're gonna get the same max amount of output from me regardless. Okay. So for me, it wasn't too different, especially because even when we do have a big crowd, I don't hear or really see them at all. Like mm -hmm. when you 
when you're on the field and you're in the game, it's kind of, you're just in this little bubble and then there's just no noise outside of that. So for me, it felt really comfortable. It felt really normal. And I didn't have to do anything extra to go out there and perform as I usually do. So that was nice. Yeah, that sounds super nice. I wish I could do that on big days. That's wild. So what what is your daily uh, like mental routine and preparation look like for then a regular game day? Um, I think for me, just following my routine. So making sure I get a good night's rest, because if, if not, I'm not the nicest person. So trying to <laughs> avoid that. Yeah. Um, having breakfast, putting my music in to kind of chill myself, whether it's like R&B to... I, I like singing along. So like singing yeah. along distracts me from my nerves and it helps me like chill out. And then also you'll have your hip hop music to closer towards the game to just get me hyped up, remind myself of all the um, great things I've accomplished so that I know once I go out there, just do what you normally do, Naya, is kind of the aspect in that. So it's it's nothing more than just like following routine, making sure I'm fueling myself properly, making sure I'm stretching my body to put myself in the best position possible to perform and then just kind of um, visioning things through my mind of catching the ball, scoring the try, making the tackle, that those type of things I would say. So routine, proper fueling, proper stretching, music, and then just um, manifesting basically. Yeah, yeah. And and did you develop that over time or did you partner with someone to help you develop that like a sports psychologist? Um, with that specific routine, it's more um, something I built on as I um, went through my career, but we do work with a sports psychologist. He's not as hands-on on game day, but like the build-up to it, um, he's um, very involved. Um, and then even outside of that, like I consistently work with him um, normally once a week to check in, see how things are going, what things I can improve on, what things I um, worked on to get feedback from him. So it's kind of like a continuous relationship we have so that when we do get to that tournament time, I kind of already have all the tools that I need to make sure that I can perform. Yeah, yeah. So you, you don't have to share like super personal things, but what what are some of the the skills, um, the 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 things that you've built up with this sports psychologist that you now implement on a daily that you'd recommend to others? Um, a couple other things I've worked on is like um, working with my brain when I'm tired, so like mental mm. fatigue. Um, learning to be a team player and to like communicate with the people around me in a proper manner. And then also um, complacency, like mm. not okay with just the bare minimum, trying to push yourself a little bit more to reach that full potential. And so those are things that I struggled with in the beginning, still struggle with to today and have been like the three pillars that I've worked on with him. and. I would like to say, I think he would say too, that I've had a lot of success, a lot of improvement in that area. And I don't think I would have without him because I knew, I know like, but when I first started working with him, it wasn't an option for me. It was something my coach required. It wasn't something I was interested in. It wasn't anything I was intrigued about. It was like, okay, let me take this for him so he can get off my back. But it's turned into <laughs> something that's like something I need and something that if I didn't have, I wouldn't be the player I am today without it. Yeah, I was just going to ask that, like, did you, did you go to them or did the coach, like, get you to do it? So since the coach kind of made you do it, uh, what, yeah. what was kind of the switch? What was the light bulb when you're like, actually, this guy might be okay? 
Um, I think maybe after like four meetings, I decided to actually engage with him. And I think what made it easy to like accept is him as a psych psychologist, he will like just stare at you for an awkward amount of time after <laughs> you say things. And so for me, yeah. like the humor of that allowed me to kind of chill out a little bit and be like, okay, I don't know why that aspect of it made it like, okay, like let's just give this thing a shot. Yeah. But I think something that um, kind of made me more accepting of it and like even something I still laugh at today, but now like when he does that, I know he's thinking about something. Like those <laughs> different things where it's like, you kind of learn a person. Mm -hmm. I think that helped me um, be more receptive to him and the idea of, of a mental psychologist, sports yeah. psychologist. Mm -hmm. Man, that, that's good. It's funny to hear that side of it because uh, as a fellow therapist, one of the things we were always taught is be okay in the silence. Yeah. And like just how you said, uh, you know, he would just awkwardly wait in the silence. <laughs> like, I guess I never looked at it that way. I thought it was just what therapists do. You know? Yeah. Oh, man. I, so, thing. I think it is a thing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, it's definitely a thing. Like we're, we're, we're taught to get comfortable in that. And you forget, you forget that it is awkward. Like it's weird, yeah. right? So, yeah man that's that's fine i haven't heard that from the other side before so mm -hmm. i appreciate that point of view um so uh what what happens then um what what are some of the the big kind of mental barriers that you see um you don't have to name people but like if you've seen it in players or others that have really struggled with it what are some of the things that you see um as a professional athlete um, I think the balance of your personal life and your job, um, that's something that I see a lot. Also, like, um, removing the emotion outside of the business side. Okay. Say, say more about that. That, that sounds interesting. Um, I think, uh, one thing I always tell myself, which I think sometimes I get a bad rep for it, is like, yes, we love this sport. Yes, we love, like, um all the amazing things we've been able to experience from it. But at the end of the day, it's a business. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's something I learned really quickly being on a team where you see people get cut, you see your best friends get cut, you see people's contracts get demoted, promoted. Like you yeah. just always are a part of the business side. And when it comes to that business side, it's all about numbers. When it comes to the performance side, it's all about numbers. Um, and yes, that coach may love you. They may appreciate you, you as an athlete, but if you aren't hitting those numbers, in a sense, you're not valuable to the business. Yeah. And so I think for me, like seeing um, people struggle with that aspect of, oh, well, I thought they liked me. I thought they appreciated mm -hmm. me. I thought they respected me. None of that changes. They can still have those feelings, but at the end of the day, they have to make a business decision. And so I think that's something that I see a lot of people struggle with that I learned to accept really fast. Because once you take the emotion out of it and you put yourself in their position, you have a, a, a better understanding of the decisions that are made, even if one day you're in that seat for the chopping block. Yeah, yeah, that's that's such a good point. I think, you know, it, you're a professional athlete, right? Like it's yeah. your profession, right? Our job. So, yeah. Unfortunately with that though, yeah, it's, it's a job. There are numbers, right? Um, and I think uh, continually as I talk to, you know, professionals like yourself, that is a realization you come to eventually, 
like especially at the higher levels you're just like it still is like a business like yeah. you have to perform i mean if if you showed up to your job at at a school and you stop teaching kids i mean probably gonna get fired <laughs> you know <what> I mean? <laughs> so that, yeah that's that's so tough because it, it gets tied in then with something you really love right yeah. something that you grew up doing like you said you're an athlete so so can you can you speak a little bit about how that um that can challenge your identity when those stats and those numbers and everything comes in there from like i'm just an athlete to now i'm a piece of this business um i think because my goal or like my dreams were never to be a professional athlete were never mm -hmm. to the olympics it's a little bit easier for me to like not identify with being an athlete um again like i haven't been out of that world fully yet so i don't know if my answer would change as time goes on mm -hmm. um but with that i try to do a lot of things outside of being an athlete i try to find hobbies and i um, other things to identify with so that when i do let go of this identity which I, I think once you're an olympian you're always an athlete for the rest yeah. of your life yeah. so i think um just the bigger idea of it of like actually being an athlete in the moment being involved in other things will make it easier for me to kind of let go of that title um and also having accomplished the, the things that i've been able to accomplish will kind of make it never really be gone in the first place mm. and i think for me like that legacy aspect um and the idea that like it doesn't really exist for me because I feel like I'll always be an athlete even when I'm 100 years old. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, that's that's awesome, and and I, I feel like like you said it, like you just you've you've differentiated yourself. You know, you you've mitigated the stress of everything. Has there ever been a moment where it just hasn't been fun? All the time. Okay. Yeah. All, I think. And, then, and that's something we talk about a lot. It's like, let's have fun. Let's make this fun. Like, let the goal of the game be fun. But at the end of the day, like, playing rug rugby is very difficult. Mm -hmm. Playing rugby at the professional level is very difficult. Playing rugby when your livelihood, when your bank account, when those type of things are on the line, like, that's stressful. So for me, like, there's, there's nothing fun about that. <laughs> Training <laughs> yeah. is hard. Conditioning is hard. Fitness tests are hard. Um, majority of my life being a professional rugby player is hard mm -hmm. and so um, I just think my acceptance of that that it's not always going to be fun uh, makes it easier but I think that's also like why we talk about in our organization like having a why mm -hmm. so that when you have those tough days of this is not fun I don't think I want to do this anymore you think about your why's so whether that be your family, whether that be um, the things you've experienced in the past, the goals you have for the future, like those are the things that'll kind of keep you level-headed and kind of bring you back to uh, where you need to be to be able to stick stick it through, basically. Yeah, yeah. And does it does it get easier to remember that stuff? Uh, the more of those hard moments you overcome. Yeah, because the hard moments, like getting over those, becomes easy because you have more tools because you've experienced it before. Whether that's having uh, support system of your family, your closest friends, your teammates, uh, your sports psychologist. I think the biggest thing is like having that support system who understands at certain levels um, what you need in that moment. Yeah. 
Yeah. Now, now, does your sports should your sports psychologist come from like a rugby world? If you're playing rugby or if you're playing basketball, should should that person come from that world, or is can they come from anywhere as long as they know what they're doing? Um, I would say they. I wouldn't think they would need to come from that world, but I would think they would uh, eventually in their career had some involvement in the world because I just think each sport, sports in general, requires a certain level of knowledge, but specific sports have different aspects and have different needs um, depending on like the physical output and things of that such. And so I think they should have some form of involvement, some knowledge on the sport and what it requires to be the best rugby player in the world. Yeah, yeah. And now did you do you work with your own uh, mental performance coach or strictly the one from USA Rugby? We have one that used to work for um, Team USA, but now is contracted to USA Rugby, specifically on the women's side. Mm. And so we've been working with him for a pretty long time. Yeah. Um, and he's well-versed in all sports, which I mean, makes it like very helpful because he knows how to tap in to different aspects of a person and what exactly they're involved in so he knows how to help you yeah yeah yeah. Mm -hmm. that's good now now as we uh yeah so if you you could tell your your younger self nyan faya if you could tell little little nyan faya what what would you what would you tell her uh as part of your journey looking back what would you encourage her to do what things choices would you reminder to take what were some things you would tell her um i would tell her to i think just be ready for the adversity because for a long time she would have never dealt with it into her like adult years um i would tell her to start working with a sports psychologist sooner Um, And I would also tell her to probably start working on her fitness as soon as she could. (laughs) I feel like we all wish we could tell ourselves to do that, you know? (laughs) Oh, shoot. That's funny. Um, Now, now you're working with an organization outside of USA Rugby. Can you tell us a little bit about that and what they do? Yes. So I'm working with OMBAC Youth Rugby. Um, it's a youth rugby club here in San Diego. They also have an adult side. Um, and I think they're about to start um, like a in-between age um, group as well. And I just received a lot of support from them throughout my rugby journey, had interactions with um, their organization, with the parents, with the kids, and just uh, really created a bond through that. And from that, um, having received so much from rugby, I always try to find ways to give back. And for me, I always wanted to start my own scholarship because I felt like that was a way to um, leave your name in the dirt once you're gone. And so um, I partnered up with On Back Youth Rugby to do that, to be able to provide financial assistance to the parents and the youth to um, help with their dues that they have to pay to participate. 
because um, I feel like sports is so beneficial, especially at a younger age, and that you shouldn't have to worry about the financial side, that that shouldn't stop you from being able to have that experience. And so um, with On Back Rugby, we're getting ready to fundraise for the second year for the Nia Tapper Scholarship to be able to provide financial assistance um, to these youth rugby players so that they can play rugby, have fun, and um, hopefully share their love for rugby to the world. And so, um, Again, we're getting ready to fundraise for that and that'll always be available to donate. I'll be doing a lot of um, promotion on my social media okay. platform. So it's at Tapper on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, all the above. Um, you'll, you'll see it. So once you see it on my story or on a post, just make sure to tap the link. Yeah, and you, you have a website too, right? Yes. And so um, it won't be available on my website, but my website does provide access to just getting to know me better, the things that I've been involved in, and to also be able to shop uh, the Nye on Fire merch collection. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that website <laughs> is nyatapper.com. And if you go to my social media page, um, I have like a link tree that has um, links to my website, to different things I've been involved in it, and then also um, codes for different products that I'm sponsored by. So a lot of information for you guys to get in touch with. That is so awesome. That's awesome. So any any last words you want to tell our listeners um, in regards to Olympics or rugby or mental health, just any lasting words as we head out here? Um, I would say um, to tap into the mental health world if you can, if you haven't already. Um, even if you don't like it, just give it a try and, and see where it takes you. Because for me, that try turned into a great experience. Um, also, our rugby season is about to start. So again, if you're on Instagram or any of those platforms, follow me so that you can um, stay engaged with our games, support us, watch us getting ready to go into this Olympic season. And uh, lastly, just thank you so much again for having me here. I appreciate you sharing me with your listeners and I hope they were able to take even a small piece of information that could be helpful for them. Oh man, tons, tons of great information. I just, I appreciate you hopping on, spending some time with us. So thank you so much, Naya. Thanks for joining us for this week's episode of the Bullish Drive Podcast. Naya, it was awesome having you on. You know, if you are a high level performer, an athlete or musician looking to find a coach to help you take your game or your performance to the next level by adding mental performance skills, reach out to us at Bullish Drive Agency. That's www.bullishdrive.com for a faith-based approach to taking your game to the next level. I'd love to chat and just hear what you're looking for and some barriers that I can help you overcome. And check us out on Instagram, check us out on YouTube. We're all over the place. We're just quick tips and tricks. This has been the Bullish Drive Podcast. And always remember, it starts with you and your destiny is waiting. See you next week. Peace.